Good morning. I woke up yesterday morning and lay in my bed for a few minutes, and I had my plans for the day, but especially for the morning. And all I could think about, though, before I even got out of bed was not those plans, but all I could think about was a friend of mine that I learned two days before is lying in a hospital nearby in Galveston on his, on his deathbed. He's a friend of mine from high school. We're in the same class, so he's fairly young. I fancy myself fairly young. I'm actually, I'm actually just dead center of uh, middle age, but, but um, he shouldn't be on death's door, and he is on death's door. And I had plans to, the best laid plans, right, of mice and men. I had plans to visit him Monday. They were penciled in. I had definite plans yesterday morning to sort of finish looking over this and my lesson that I, that I teach every, every Sunday at nine and, and, and get things in order. And then the rest of the day was with the kids. We had, you know, it's, it's the time of year. We had birthday parties. We had Christmas stuff and house, house trimmings and to-dos and all that. And so, but I could not get away from this burden for this young man, this young man, this, this man who's my age, he's, he's 40. And so, thank you. And so I got up and started to have a quiet time, and I couldn't even focus on the words, which rarely happens. And so I had to be back for a Nerf. Uh, my, son, my son was invited to a Nerf war dual birthday party at 1030 here in Houston, close by. And so I said, I, if I'm doing this thing, I got to go. And so I went. And, okay, Lord, if this is you, I'm going. I can't be sure, but uh, I'm going to go and... So I went, and, and, the, and the closer I got to Galveston, the more, I, more people I texted and asked for prayer, and the, the more sure I was that this is from the Lord, I was, I was gearing up and, and uh, walked in to see my friend, and honestly, wouldn't, wouldn't have recognized him. I had about 20 minutes with him, and I told him that up front. Uh, it was, I, was, I was on a mission, and I really felt like the Lord said, now's the time, not Monday, now. And so I, 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 I walked in and told him as much, and I wouldn't have recognized him, his liver is done. He was so yellow that it looked like, um, you know, iodine when you're in the hospital and they put iodine on you, they scrub it on a part of your body to cleanse it, I guess, and they put a needle in you or whatever. It, that, it was, he looked like that, but in his entire body, including the whites of his eyes, which are not white. They were pure yellow. Not a, not a faint yellow. Not, I'm not talking a faint yellow on his body. I'm talking pure yellow, like somebody got in a, a solid yellow highlighter and every every single inch of his skin and his eyes, and basically his hair has fallen out, and uh, he has sort of scabs all over his body, and um, he's, he's, he's inches from death. So I sat down beside him, and the lady that was, the nurse that was with him was putting on some music for him that he'd requested, and I started talking and sat down with him, and she could tell just from what I said that we needed some time and I didn't even ask her but she just she kindly said I'm going to leave you two alone and close the door and there was no family there there was no staff there it was just me and my friend whom I haven't seen in a long time but I know he's been raging against I know he's been raging against God I've been hearing about him and I've been praying for him and I've been trying to meet with him for years and it hasn't ever happened because he's been running he's been raging but he can't run anymore literally God has just fixed him through his own choices, 
And the same could be said of each of us, right? Through our own choices, that's where we all deserve to be. And so he was literally fixed there, and, and I had an audience. And I think that he was in a place, and the Lord knew this, where he was willing to listen. And I might even say that that might have been the first time in years, maybe ever, he got to the lowest place. And, um, and so we, we began to talk, and I had some things I wanted to say, and I knew, I felt like the Lord had given me, but I also felt like it was not just going to be me, but the Lord speaking hopefully through me, but also that the Lord had some things to say to him as he asked the Lord some questions. And so I did some of the preliminaries with the things that I had, and of course, you know me, I walked in with three different books, and one of them was the Bible, and two other books, and one of them was Keller. And, uh, and we, we walked through those for about 10 minutes, and then I stopped, and I could tell he was listening, but he has a hard time concentrating, in part because of the pain, but also his mind isn't working right, and his body is shutting down, and every about two or three minutes, he would go like that. And I, I could tell it was, it's probably his body shutting down. And, and so I was praying that whole time, and others were praying for me that he would be able to hear with his ears, but also in his brain, but also with his heart, right? The, only God can open our hearts that God would open his heart. And I had confidence that this was going to be, well, I knew, I knew that I was supposed to be there. I'll put it that way. I didn't know what God would do. But, but I told him right, right up front, I said, my friend, I didn't say it's good to see you because it wasn't because poor guy looked horrible. Um, I didn't say how are you because I know the answer. I just said, here's the deal. I, I woke up this morning and I could not get you off my brain. I was planning on Monday. But I don't know that you have till Monday. And you don't know that. And none of us do, but you really don't. And he was all ears. And I said, my friend, I know enough of your story to know you've been running from God and raging against God and you have things against him. And you might feel like he's pushed you away and he doesn't want anything to do with you. I'm telling you right now, that's a lie. And he sent me to tell you how much he loves you. And he's the kind of God that comes after us. And I'm here to, I'm here to be his mouth and to tell you that. And he was listening and, and we did some listening prayer. I gave him a little crash course, 60 seconds worth. I got this crazy friend, Justin. I, I didn't mention Justin's name, but I, you know, I said, look, you know, relationships, right? We, we speak to people, but then we allow them to speak back to us. It's called relationship, right? And if you only just ever talk at someone, it's not really a relationship, and it's going to be one-sided. I said, God speaks to us preeminently through his written word, and we take everything we think we hear and sense and dream and whatever else, whatever words we get back to that. And if it doesn't measure up to that, forget about it. It's not from him, right? And we, met, we, we hold it in community, and we weigh it together. But I said, God's speaking all the time. Uh, always, in, always in line with his written word to us, his perfect, uh, his perfect breath and his perfect word. And so can you just ask some questions? Maybe just ask some questions. And so I led him through a couple questions. And, and uh, to cut a short story, it was literally 20 minutes, a little shorter, we got to a place where I laid out the gospel for him. And I said, and, he's, and he was honest with me, which I really appreciate. He didn't just pray a prayer. He said, I wish I could believe what you're telling me, and I wish I could pray it, and I, but I can't right now. And I said, why do you think that is? Can we ask God? And then he, it was, I was amazed at how, even though he's been running from God, at how quickly he seemed to hear when he would just ask God simple questions. And so he said, almost, almost didn't even bow his head and just said, I know. I know what is keeping me from being able to believe that God wants me to be his own, his own son and his own child and to forgive me and to cleanse me and to make me whole. And that is, and he didn't say all those words, but that, that's what he was in fewer words saying. He said, my sin. And I said, my friend, my friend. 
I said, that's exactly why Jesus came. And that's what we have in the text this morning in Isaiah 35 that Nathaniel just read for us and that was read earlier in bits um, by Casey. We have a picture, you know, we had a couple Sundays ago at the start of Advent, we had a picture of a magnetic mountain out of Isaiah 2 where God is the kind of God who's going to, it was hard in a sense for people to come to him. Uh, and if you didn't do it just according, in the right way, according to his law, uh, according to his word, um, it was dangerous to be in his presence. And it still is if it's not according to his word. But then um, there was going to be a time where he was going to draw all sorts of people, people from every nation to himself, like a tractor beam sucking you in. Use that, use that illustration from Star Wars, right? And we saw that in Christ, that's now manifest. We are now in the time where anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then we looked at, and that who believes on Christ will be saved. We looked at the righteous branch, right? And a different picture that Isaiah gives us from, from last week. Um, and then this week we get the desert highway. We get a picture of a God who comes into the bleakest places. He comes into the desert and he makes that desert. The desert is a, is a howling waste. It's a place of death. Just like my friend finds himself in right now or found himself in yesterday, a place of death. And the fact is that even if we're not on our deathbeds, we're inches away. We're all, I mean, even if it's 40 more years or 50 more years that you have or 60 more years if you're super young and a lot younger than I am right now, you're just, in the big scheme of things, you're a blip away. And who knows, it could be a blip tomorrow that takes you down um, and that puts you before the face of God. And so we're all inches away from physical death, but we're also, we're born dead on arrival. We're born enemies of God because of the fact that our first parents sinned and, and rebelled against God, and we've inherited that, and we walk in that, and we, we go our own way. We do what we want to do, even if, uh, even if we pay lip service to God in our flesh. Uh, we don't want him to be king. We want to be in charge. And so we're all, as my friend in this hospital bed made so clear, we're all um, rebels who've rebelled against God and who deserve um, where he was and far worse. And so this picture that Isaiah gives us is a third picture and it's a little different. It's the picture of God coming to us in the middle of that death, in the middle of that bleakness, in the middle of that dryness, in the middle of that ugliness, and bringing flowers, bringing a, making a garden out of the desert, and putting a highway into that desert. Um, roads were dangerous places. The desert was a dangerous place. And he makes a highway that is easy for those that come to him, the ransomed and the redeemed. Um, it's easy for them to travel along. Even those who are... Um, unclean are made clean, right? No, it says none shall be unclean. Is it verse, um, verse eight? It says the unclean shall not pass over it, and yet it says that the ransomed of the Lord and the redeemed of the Lord shall walk there. In other words, it's not saying you have to be perfect. It's saying we're, we've all, through our brokenness and through our choices and through our willful rebellion, We've brought death into this creation, and we've brought death into, into our lives and into the lives of those that are around us, um, just like my friend through his choices. But I said, my friend, your sin, yes, it keeps you from God, but God has made a way in the driest place, and in the place of death, he specializes in coming into those places and bringing us life. And so um, we talked together about that, and... Um, that's really the picture that we get, again, here in this. And that's, this is my, it's my one note. You know, it's that story, and then it's unpacking that just briefly today um, in this brief gathering that we have together. Um, this is my word, and it was my word to him. And I said, look, Jesus, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter, he, um, 
took our sin on the tree. He carried our shame. He became sin for us. Um, He goes into the darkest, most willfully rebellious places in our lives, and he says, I can make life there. I can make flowers bloom there. I can create a garden out of the desert that you've made of your life and of, of creation as it spreads from us into our environments. And um, I said, my friend, the fact that I said, Jesus is your sin bearer. Jesus is your sin bearer. He is the God who makes a way. Um, and so we see here, again, to, to belabor the point that I made earlier in verses 8, 9, and 10, this is a picture of gladness. The, Isaiah, this chapter starts with gladness. It's almost one of the first words in the first verse. And then in, in verse 10 at the end, it ends with the word gladness. As we've been singing about joy, this is the week of Advent where we celebrate joy. God is the God who brings joy into the bleakest of places. And my friend was actually in the perfect place to receive um, from God, the God who makes a way in the desert, who puts a highway in the desert and makes the desert to bloom with all sorts of beauty because he was literally no longer running. And because he was literally able to say, my sin is a problem. And he was literally able to say, I deserve to be here. Um, And he was able to say, not only am I in a desert place, but I am a desert on the inside and I've made of my life a dry, a dry place where there's only death. Um, and Jesus came to bear our death and to, in a sense, become our death it's, and the sin that leads to death on the cross. Um, and he came for people like my friend. And the fact is, guys, that's the only kind of people he comes for. There's no other gospel message. That is the joy that we have at Christmas time that we focus on with laser-like focus. The fact that he entered into this God Almighty who was on high, who was in a paradise that was his by rights, came into this world straight down into our poverty and chose to be born poor and chose to be born under the law and chose to be rejected by men, but to bring life wherever he went and then to literally die on a Roman cross and and take the death that we have earned and, and, and created in our environments and inside of ourselves upon himself and to trade us. And so we, once he said, it's my sin that separates me from God, I was able to say basically in so many words, not from Isaiah 35, but I'll say it to you. um, Yeah, you're right. The unclean shall not pass over this highway. No unclean are gonna walk on it. But then Isaiah goes on quickly in the next two verses to say, yes, but the redeemed will. In other words, the redeemed are some is someone that someone, it's a financial term, it's someone that uh, a price has been paid for them to release them from captivity. And that price was God himself. And the ransomed uh, comes from a term that's sort of a technical term for a a type of person in the Hebrew Bible that's called a kinsman redeemer. Um, Excuse me, excuse me, I flipped that. The ransomed is is a ransom that you will pay, that somebody pays for you to set you free because you are a slave and our sin has created slavery for us but the, re- the redeemed shall walk there comes from a term, the kinsman redeemer, that was a technical person in the Hebrew that was, he was kin, he was in your family, and he had the right, if he had the capability, he also had the right to be able to pay a price for you and to set you free. And this is preaching to us about the fact that when this king comes on the scene, um, 
He is going to pay a price to set us free. He is our brother and he is our king and he is going to pay the price of himself, give his own life to set us free. And so I was able to say to my friend, just preach the gospel to him in, in these words and say like, through ransoming and redeeming you, my friend, you know this, but you're listening now because you're willing to admit. And let me say this, the only type of people that, that are able to receive all that this king who makes, um, who comes into our deserts and makes a highway in, in the deserts of our lives for us, the only type of people who are able to receive him, and he is welcoming all who will come, but the only people who will come are those who are willing to admit, I've made of my life a desert, like my friend um, did yesterday. It's my sin that stands between me and God, and I was able to say, no, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who's come between you and the Father, and he has taken what, sta- what did stand between you and God onto himself, and the fact that you are willing to admit that you deserve what he took means you can cast yourself on him and be saved. And he will make of your life a garden. He has the capacity to heal you too. He has the capacity to heal your liver, to raise you up from this bed. But regardless, that's coming if you trust in him because he's come for you. And the fact that you see now that your sin is a problem, that you're owning that is the first step toward opening your arms to him because his arms are open wide to you. And he is the farthest thing from from distancing himself from you in your rebellion. Rather, he sent me to you as an expression of the fact that he is a God who makes a highway in the deserts of our lives to come to us. You know, it's interesting, as I just scratched around a little bit here, Isaiah and a few more chapters in Isaiah 40. Isaiah, so this is chapter 35. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the, the whole book takes a shift and Isaiah never looks back. Pretty much the book before this, the first 39 chapters are about judgment, the judgment that we deserve. But then in chapter 40, the first word of chapter 40 is comfort, and the second word is comfort, my people. And the whole tone all the way through the end of the prophet, chapter 66, shifts. And he brings up in these few verses in Isaiah 40 again the same image, but in a little different language. He says, the king's coming, comfort and take hope. Why? Because the king that I'm prophesying about in Isaiah 35, he's coming. And he is going to be the kind of king who, again, comes um, on a desert highway. He makes a highway to get to God easily and safely, easily and safely um, in the desert, in the broken, despairing, anxious, Justin was talking about anxiety earlier, rebellious parts of our lives, ugly. Um, And it says that, he is coming, so make the way. Here's what it says in Isaiah 40. Make the way straight for him. So in other words, the picture there is ancient Near Eastern kings would, uh, when they would come to visit their subjects, the subjects, they would have to come through terrain, through rough terrain, and the subjects, if they knew the king was coming, they, would, they were often called to make the way easy and straight for him to come. And so that's what would happen. So if you can imagine like when you drive on Texas highways and you see the highway has been cut through the rock, They've cut, you know, straight up vertically through rock and they've put the highway. If you think about all the work and the dynamiting and the chiseling and whatever else and the leveling that went into making that way straight, or you see, so that's a high place and you're making it lower. But if you see a low place like a big ravine or a valley, then you put a trestle bridge over it so the, tra- the train doesn't, you know, have to go down into the valley. The train just goes straight across that bridge. You're making it easy for the one who is coming. And there's a sense too in which that chapter is saying, and that, that verse is saying, God is the one who's going to. It says, you make the way straight, but it also says God is the one who's going to make the way straight by coming into our poverty, into our bleakness, 
into our brokenness. And I just wanna say, if you are like my friend and think my sin stands between me and God, know that this, this chapter, this word from Isaiah 35, from Isaiah 40 is for you. How do I know this? Because it's here, but also because the first thing within the first three chapters that each, I was surprised to find this when I, this week when I was doing my research, the, uh, the, for one of the first things that each of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is way different as most of you know than the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I was surprised to see that even John, all four of them start their gospels essentially this way, quoting from Isaiah 40 quoting that exact thing and saying, make, he is going to make his way straight, but also make the way straight for him because he's coming. He's coming to set you free, right? And so I just want to say this word is for those of you who think your sin is standing in between you and God to say it's not. It is, but he has made a way. And Jesus in John 14 says what? I am the way. He is the straight desert highway in the bleakness of what we've made of our lives in this world to God. And when we come to him, light starts to pierce darkness and beauty starts to overtake ugliness. And repair starts to overtake ruin. And it's a process, isn't it? But we're made, we're restored, we're made right. And that process bears out over the course of our lives. And one day, as we see at the end of this chapter and elsewhere in Isaiah, toward the end especially, all things, we and all creation are gonna be made new through this through this Messiah. But I also want to say it's for the believer too. As Justin was saying earlier in the time of repentance and, and how Martin Luther said the, 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 um, the first of the 95 theses was that the Christian life ought to be one of continual repentance. I think a lot of us, we, we lose the category. We lose this category of continual repenting before God. We lose the category. We think we've been made right before God through faith in Jesus Christ, this desert highway, this way that he sent for us to go straight to him, and that's true. But what that means is that we get to, um, we get to continually admit to him, I've made a desert of this part of my life. Come into this part of my desert, my dryness, the death over here, whether it's anxiety or grumbling and complaining, discontentment or some sort of perversity, lust, or greed, or pride. And, and when he shows that to us, whether it's through his word, or through his spirit, or through his body, his community, or in whatever way, oftentimes we can feel like we don't wanna open up to him, and we don't wanna open up to his community. But, but don't you see that the only way for flowers to bloom in those places is to say, I've made a desert here and you've made a way for me for there to be life. And it's in Christ alone. It's not through my efforts. And and it could be idolatry in our lives. Maybe we've run after something else as believers. And in fact, I do it daily. I run after other things thinking, okay, that thing is gonna make me happy. That thing is gonna fulfill me. When God shows me that through his word, through his spirit, through his community, through my circumstances, knowing that he has made me right and he is the only way to God and he is sufficient, and he wants me to go, come on in. Break your light in to this dark place. Break the moisture, the water of life into this dryness. Bring your beauty into my brokenness. That's, that, doing that daily and, and hourly and minutely is part of the blessed benefit of being a Christian and walking along the highway. Because you are clean. The unclean won't walk on it. You are made clean instantly when you look to Jesus Christ. And I told my friend that yesterday. If you look to Christ, sin no longer separates you. He's taken that. 
he was separated in your place and he brings you all the way up into God's lap, into God's presence as his son. Um, but because of that, as his children, we have the privilege of continually saying, come into this place. Um, and so I just want to challenge some of you that are here, that are, are, are in Christ and that are alive in Christ to avail yourself of this God who makes a highway in the desert places that are still in your life and to release that to him. To do it with him, to do it in the community, to do it in this family. Um, he, he isn't holding you at arm's length. He is the God who comes. Like Nathaniel said, that's what we celebrate in particular in Advent. He's the God who comes into the desert. Um, he's ransomed us. He's redeemed us. He's called us by name. Um, <clears throat> How do I want to finish this word? Lord, what do you have for your people? I guess let me just take you to one more verse in the chapter and then, and then go ahead and give some application and, and close us down so we can continue to worship the Lord and go out to PLI to love on those sweet refugees and immigrants. Verse 4 says this, Say to those who have an anxious, so let's start in verse three. Verse three, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And the word I held out to my friend yesterday is the word that I again will hold out to you from this text, which is how can God come with vengeance justly against evil and that be a good thing for me? Like my friend said, sin, my sin stands between me and safety and welcome and life with a holy God. And the answer is, I think it's all over the gospels, but in one place in particular, John chapter 11, Jesus in that wonderful passage is standing before the tomb of Lazarus, right? He says, he says to the sisters, take me to his tomb. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he stands there before the tomb, and we all know the verse that's claimed to be the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That's there. He weeps. Doesn't say he cries. He sheds a few tears. He weeps. He, has, he truly enters into your pain. He is with you right now. He has come all the way down, and he wore, he, he, he wore that pain right there and preeminently on the cross. But I think a few verses after that, a more neglected part and more powerful to me is after he weeps, he goes to the tomb and he stands in front of it and it says that he was deeply troubled. And the word there in the Greek is imbromiomai. And it's just such a fun word to say, uh, which is why I say it. But it actually, I say it because it's, um, it's kind of onomatopoeic. What I mean by that, the word, what's an onomatopoeia? Class? Sounds like what it means, right? Good. A word, an onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it means. This word uh, Embromyomai is a participle, so it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's active. It's an ing verb. And it said that basically it's used of war horses in extra biblical literature. So in the Greek literature uh, around that time and before that time of the, some of the Greek poets and others and some of the epic poets who would write about battles, the Iliad and the Odyssey and things like that, it's used, that verb is used for the snortling of a war horse before battle who paws the ground, Okay. 
is a powerful word. Why is he snortling like a war horse standing before the grave of Lazarus, knowing he's about to call Lazarus forth? What's the deal? And most commentators, and I agree with them, think that because he is standing there and it's right, it's a week before the cross, more or less. It's right before the cross. And this is the sort of thing that sends his enemies over the edge. And they go from here and they say, they make plans to crucify him. So he is heading toward his mission, which is to die in your place, to make sure that sin doesn't stand between you and God. Do you understand that? And he sees all that. And he sees the fact that he is going to, for the first time and the last time in, can I use the word history, in the space-time continuum, he is going to be separated somehow, I don't know how, but separated from fellowship with his father, what we deserve in our rebellion, but also he's going to have maybe even worse, I don't know, they're both horrible, the white-hot just wrath of God against our sins poured out upon him on the cross. And he's thinking about all that, and he's thinking about the fact that not only is his payment going to set us right and to make us a way, a highway in the desert to God, but it's also through that payment going to start the process of the remaking of all creation, which we see in Isaiah 35. The blooming of all these environments. He's going to remake all things and he's not gonna stop until they're done. But he's going, to, he's going to ground zero to do that work in about a week. And I think that he is seeing all that death and sin and human brokenness have done to ruin to destroy his good creation and what he's going to do as this war horse, can I say that? To go fight for us in our place and to go fix things. And he is pawing at the ground and he is furious. He's furious not at you, friend. Can I say this to my friend? And I did yesterday in his hospital bed. He's not furious at you. He was, he chose, the father chose to be furious at his son in your place. He took our place and he was seeing that and he was gaming up for what the raising of Lazarus was really leading to. Why could he raise Lazarus? Because he was gonna go take the fall so that everywhere he walked into death and into darkness and into the places in your lives where there is brokenness and you feel abandoned. Can I tell you he loves you right in that place? He is with you. The cross is a promise of that. He will make a way in the desert. He will make a way. He is the God who specializes in that. Our gospel writers all chose to say at the beginning of their announcement of the good news, this is the kind of God he is. He comes. And, and maybe, maybe you haven't made the way for him to come is straight through an anxiety through something you're holding on to against him, through a wound. My friend yesterday, we did some listening prayer, and he said, honestly, quickly, he said, yeah, I have felt like that horrible thing that happened to my family, that was my fault. I felt like that for over 10 years. And so what, his raging was actually a symptom. His anger, he was an angry person. His anger was a, a symptom of feeling like something, a tragedy, a horrible death in the family, was his fault. He was being blamed by that, by God, for that by God. A total lie from the enemy. And I got to say to him, my friend, God is for you. The cross assures us of that. And I see those of you sitting here in the congregation right now, many faces where you, you, have, you are in a desert right now, but you have 
the joy of the living God inside of you, knowing that this is the God that has saved you and that you worship and that has rescued you. And you're like, I don't, I'm in physical straits. I don't have enough money in the bank. My kidneys are failing. There are those in my life that ought to be faithful that are not being faithful. But you're, you're actually blooming in the desert and I'm watching it and it's beautiful because you know that Christ is with you and he's scraping away. He's scraping away all that is unnecessary until only he remains in your affections. And I want to say to you, he is enough. And you know that. And I want to remind you of that. And I want to call you back to that. And I want to call me back to that. Because we are idol factories, as John Calvin said. But he is the only thing that we need. And he is the God who comes to our deserts and makes of our deserts, in our deserts, a highway where, where life grows. And so that is the word I want to leave you with. And let me just give you a few more things by way of application, and then I'll sit down or I'll break some bread for us. Um, you know, again, back to the text, we look at verses five and six, and in verses five and six, it talks about these desert places like the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are skipping like little lambs. So this Messiah is gonna come and he's going to, again, he's gonna make beautiful things out of broken things, physically, but also in a much, much, much greater way. He's gonna restore us and bring us back to our maker and the lover of our souls. And when he came, he did this stuff. He was able to do this stuff because he took the hit for us. He took the fall. And, but he went, wherever he went, he proclaimed the gospel. He, he, he uh, told it, but he also showed it. It was a show and tell ministry of here's what the king coming to you looks like. It looks like restoration. And I just want to remind us again that we, I want to see us continue to walk into being a people who are little highways ourselves, highways to the highway, to the master highway, to the interstate highway, Jesus Christ, who go proclaiming that the king is here and he's not mad at you, friend. On, on the contrary, he is calling you into himself. Uh, and he has done that preeminently through Jesus Christ. He's taken care of the problem. To be highways, though, and gospel proclaimers in word, but also in deed. Because all that he did, he gave to his church to do. Greater things will you do. So to be a people who are hearing him speak and who are speaking words of encouragement to folk through his written word and through what he's saying. To be a people who operate in the prophetic. To be a people who operate in healing and all the gifts that he came to bring us and to, to be a people who know how to articulate the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Yeah, my friend, you do, sin does stand between you and God, but guess what? He's made a way. He's come to you. He loves you. He sent me to you. To have, to, that each of us, this is a prayer, not, not so much a proclamation, but a prayer, it's both. To be a people who can say to people throughout our days and weeks and years, God has sent me to you to show, to give you a word and to show you a word, which is that the king has come and he wants, he, he's come right into the desert you've made of your life, right in. To be a people who, like the firemen, you know, who it's always said of them that they run toward the fire when everybody else is running away, to be that kind of people who run to the deserts of people's lives and who allow others to run to the deserts of ours and say, yeah, but he's the God who specializes in, he's not mad at me, he was mad at his son, so that he can shower me with his affection. And if he's making me new, it's through discipline because he loves me. And so to be the kind of people who don't, we don't scatter like 
roaches when the rats are turned on in the basement, when we, when we see people's lives falling apart, when we see need, when we see sin, we run. We run and we herald the good news of Jesus Christ into the desert places of people's lives. To do that today at PLI, to get to show and tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, to get to do it wherever we go, wherever God's place is, like Nathaniel said, in this geography. God has put you, is it Acts 17, 26, where it says, um, Paul says on, on uh, Mars Hill to the Athenians, he says, he has lined up every, every place of your dwelling where he has you right now. He is perfectly in his providence placed you there for a reason. Can I tell you, he is, that is so true of you. It's true of you today as you go and speak. Lord, help me to talk to the people that you want me to talk to today at PLI. Lord, he's put you right where you're supposed to be living with the neighbors that you're supposed to be around. He has put you right with the coworkers you're supposed to be with. He has put you right in front of the store vendors that you go visit daily. He has had you do a fender bender right in the back of someone, hopefully that won't happen to any of us, of someone that he wants you to meet with. That's a desert highway. Not as bad as many others. Guys, he is in the midst of that. So um, let us know that we, we worship a God who's a magnet mountain, who's a righteous branch, out of a seemingly dead stump, but who also makes a way in the desert where there seems to be no way. He specializes in bringing life out of death, and he did it preeminently on the cross. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming into our deserts, into our death, into our sin, becoming our sin, taking death upon yourself, and starting a new creation by leaving that stuff in the ground and by rising as the first fruit of a new order. We, we look to you on the cross. We also look to you having risen. We look to you reigning now. And we thank you that you're with us now. Would you save? Would you sanctify? Would you bring us back to you? Um, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.